And the time to start, if you're not living your dream, is right now. Start setting goals and setting out where you set in the course of your life and setting it all up so that you get somewhere in the future. When all that comes together, something happens called fulfillment. If you are not experiencing awesomeness in every aspect of your life, it's just from internal block or barrier disconnect that you've chosen to take on. Life is as easy or as hard as we want to make it. And I got my hands and my eyeballs and my heart around any information I could around holistic healing. And that led me down a never-ending rabbit hole of which I'm still spelunking into the depths of. I needed something like ayahuasca to really wake me up because I was very rigid and very stuck in my ways and very structured and controlling. And my first ayahuasca ceremony cracked my ego in a billion pieces. And uh, that's when I believe when when we really follow our deepest truth, when we really follow our soul, when we really follow our true calling, the universe rises to support us moment to moment to moment. Welcome to the Holistic Health and Human Potential Podcast. I am your host, Ronnie Landis. I'm an international speaker, author of multiple books, an integrative nutritionist, a transformation and embodiment coach, and simply a man who has devoted most of my life to the study, application, and integration of human potential. And it is my biggest inspiration to bring you weekly episodes that will expand your mind challenge your paradigm, deepen your heart, and help you to embody the greatest version of yourself as I believe you are meant to do something incredible with your life and this podcast exists simply to support you on that journey. Greetings everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Holistic Human Optimization Show. I'm your host as always, Ronnie Landis. And we have a special guest here for you today, Mr. Stefanos Safandos. And uh, this individual is um, one heck of a human being. We got to drop in uh, really for the first time um, just on a phone call yesterday. And I, I became aware of this man and his work, I want to say like maybe six or seven months ago when I was living in Maui. And I was uh, in a transitional point in my life. I don't know when I'm not in a transitional point in my life, but I was in a transition. um, And I was just scrolling on Facebook, uh, looking for some answers to questions. I probably don't even know what the question was, but I was seeking answers nonetheless. And um, his feed came up and I watched one of his Facebook lives and it resonated so deeply with me as a man. And um, ever since, I've just been following your work. And um, more recently, I was really called to reach out to you and discuss um, some just some things that, that I have been experiencing as a man and really going through my evolutionary emergence, um, going from one phase of being, one phase of, of my life, stepping into another and going through a lot of struggles, going through a lot of challenges, making that transition. and. Um, you know, so and I really started listening to a lot of podcasts that that you had been on, a lot of interviews and conversations, mutual friends, and I had this feeling that wow, for the first time, I was listening to someone that I not only did I relate with, but I almost felt like I could see myself so much in your journey just not that long ago, just years, just a few years prior to your current journey where you are now as you were sharing your journey um, as a man going through your embodiment process, your transformational process, and um, your vulnerability, the raw vulnerability and authenticity that you share and the work that you do. And from my estimation, the work that I that it appears to me that you're doing with with men and women, but mostly men, is you work as um, you know, really just like a sacred masculine embodiment coach. And I'll definitely let you share what exactly how you see your work and your journey. But that's, that's really what what came came through for me. And um, there, there's a lot that, that I could share. I'll save that for later. But um, I'm just really excited to have you on this call and to share your wisdom with everyone. And the work that that you speak about that you do is is quite diverse. You know, it's it's not just about quote unquote coaching or mentorship. You do 
what I can tell that you're doing is a form of um, almost like neuro emotional physiological integration work. If you want to get like real technical about it, that that's kind of the gist that I got from it. And I, my left brain definitely perks up when I, when I listen to you describing some of the processes that you've gone through and that you help other individuals go through. Um, so, you know, with that said, uh, I'd love for you to just share yourself, you know, how do you see the work that you do and share a little bit about your journey getting to where you are and why this work is so important to you? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, brother, for having me. It's a humbling experience to be here. And so you articulated very well what it is, how I serve in the world in, in terms of how I work closely with others and how I work with larger groups. And there's more to it than that, of course. There's definitely an element of shadow exploration and an element of exploring our past traumas or our past pain points and fears, looking at, at our belief systems, looking at the entirety of our uh, relationships to our relationship to ourselves, relationships, key relationships in our lives. So, for example, to our primary caregivers, to family members, to friends, to to mentors in the past, and so forth. And it's not just about the past; it's also very much what's happening in the present as well. And optimizing our cognitive, emotional, spiritual, physiological performance, a relational performance as well, for lack of a better term, that term performance. And so, it's really optimizing the best version of ourselves in any given situation that actually resonates with us where we want to be present to what that, that we find important that we we associate a level a deep level of importance to that's again mental visceral importance emotional spiritual importance so my journey i'm not sure where you, where do you want me to start in my journey <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. been a, it's been a big one for so many as well of course right right well I, maybe we can start and we can all, we can go as in depth as you want um i know that a big part of what you share is from a prior relationship um when we talk about kind of the relational alchemy work that you do um I, i'm really interested and i think it'd be of most value generally speaking just about your journey going from i guess the way i want to say it is going from what you might describe as like the inauthenticities and the pain around that stepping into, you know, the most authentic version of you, the most empowered version of you and some of the challenges or some of the insights that you gained from that. I don't know exactly where you'll start on that. I'm kind of just opening it up. Um, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, my, my journey has been one of a very deep inquiry and deep exploration from a very young age. And a lot of that was stunted for various reasons, partly because of the upbringing that I had. I was in an environment that was physically violent and emotionally abusive as well, and that stunted much of my expression or curiosity into life. It didn't feel very safe to, to really be out in the world, and so I retracted a great deal as a child. As a teenager, I was also quite passive, and, and that, was, that was detrimental to, to my authenticity as well. Uh, again, I didn't really shine. And then through that, through the immense and intense frustration I felt as a as a boy turning into a man, going through the hormonal changes, the physiological changes, the mental changes, the emotional shifts that I was experiencing, I became so frustrated that I literally, I, I combusted, I burst. And so I went and became quite violent and, and loud in the world. And so, and that was another protective mechanism as well. It's instead of withdrawing and trying not to be seen, I became very loud, I became obnoxious, I became opinionated, I became judgmental, I became all these things to layer various coats of armour upon my heart that I didn't know how to regulate. I didn't know how to regulate my emotions and I really didn't understand the pain that I was feeling and where it was coming from. And I went I went along, uh, I went for, I'm trying to think in years now, um, you know, a good, a good 15 to you know, fifteen to 20 years like that. And I was very cognitive or, or I've always been quite intellectual and have been in touch with my emotions and I've been able to express my emotional self and I, I didn't have context to that. And so this is where the fast-tracking a moment here, this is where the neuroempowerment comes in and where we use, we use cognitive methodologies to help us understand, especially for men, to help us understand ourselves and it's a process of self-gnosis and self-awareness and self-realisation to get into deeper levels of embodiment or really to get into the body and to get visceral and to explore what does the body want to, to be and express in this moment. And so as I went through that process, I was, I was quite disconnected from my environment, from myself, from the people in my life. Uh, 
And, and I was always pursuing something. I was very empty. I felt very empty inside of myself. And I was trying to always fill that hole with a quick fix experiences, short-term, high-intensity gratification experiences. For me, that, that came in the form of uh, chasing women, uh, at one point drinking alcohol, uh, excessive exercise, uh, not to the point where I was, I had a body dysmorphia. It was more, it wasn't for the aesthetics. It was more for the rush that excess, high intensity, high risk training gave me. Um, and, you know, whether that be competition, whether that just be setting myself physical challenges and observing what would happen, I would, I would be consistently taking myself to the edge. I do now, I do take myself to the edge now, not as frequently and not with that intention of trying to forget my pains and my worries that were implicit, that were unconscious within me. I didn't know what the pains and worries were. I just felt very uncomfortable in my body and very uncomfortable in my mind. And to alleviate that, I would fill my days with activity that would numb that away. And of course, as you know, with any addiction, the more you go into it, the more you require of it to numb. And so the tolerance was, the the tolerance shifted so much for me. And so part of that was, um, again, women, prostitution, just really losing myself in, at some point, again, in my mid-20s, it was, again, excessive masturbation. It was just really not addressing anything that was going on within me. And when I was addressing it, it was superficial and it was hypercognitive. And so I could say all the right things, but I wasn't really feeling it and I wasn't living it. And I was way out of, way out of integrity, brother, like really out of integrity. And, and not every single area of my life, but so much of my life. And not all the time, but so often. And, and so often enough that it, it became really it just the pain just compounded and compounded and I would lash out to others or even worse, lash out to myself or engage in behaviour again that I didn't mean to hurt other people but it was hurting other people, like being unfaithful in relationships because for me it was an opportunity to forget. Relationships signified for me something very traumatic because I witnessed that in my parents uh, and that was that was very painful to to see that and to witness that. And I had unconscious associations. Obviously, at the time, I didn't know this. Reflecting back and going over it, and having done the deeper work to understand it and to embody it, I realised that I, I wanted to be in an intimate relationship because it was something that was important to me. Some unhealthy reasons, some because of codependent reasons that I was perpetuating from. Uh, enmeshment with my mother and other other reasons because it just I genuinely wanted to connect with another human being in that way and explore and create in the world and, and feel what that really was. But that was really dwarfed by the, the unhealthy aspects of myself coming out. And so anytime I was in an intimate romantic relationship, particularly, and we would become close and, and deeper intimate and more vulnerable, I would become highly fearful, almost like I felt like I was being annihilated. And so this fear around losing my freedom and commitment really played a strong role. And how I would alleviate that was to demonstrate to myself that I am free and I would be with other women. And of course, I wasn't free. I was in bondage to my unconscious and conscious actions and my habitual painful patterning. And so when all of that came unraveled a few years ago, as I've mentioned in, in a few different stories, uh, in a few different um, interviews and so forth, I chose to go deep into that stuff. I, I, I saw, I really witnessed and observed and felt how much I, my actions had caused a great deal of pain to my partner at the time. And I made a decision to never live like that again, to never live out of integrity like that again at that level, that extreme intensity and such such fallacy that I was living in. And I was living in a lot of pain and coming from a lot of, I was a boy, I was a boy. I was immature. I was a boy. I wasn't a man in any capacity. I was not embodying healthy masculine energy. I wasn't embodying the healthy king nor a healthy warrior. I was unhealthy in all my archetypes in not only the four standard normative archetypes that we're familiar with, but all the ones outside of that as well. And I made a choice to really deep dive, and it's a continuous, it's a continuous journey. It's, it's a willingness that I committed to no matter what. And, you know, I heard something really beautiful that um, 
at this event that I was just at now, Sacred Sons, where I was a, a facilitator at this event, and it was a men's workshop, uh, two three day immersive. We took uh, there was 111 men there, and we and there's myself and a few facilitators, and we, you know, I heard one of the facilitators say. The work doesn't end. When you die, the work ends. Yeah, because one of the one of, someone was asking, when does this stop? I've done so much work on this. And, and they were in a lot of pain. And the facilitator looked at him and said, it doesn't have to end and it doesn't end. And it's you're just consistently evolving yourself. And it ends when you physically die. That's when and, and I and I thought about that. And I've said that before to people, just the way it was said in the emotion of the moment, and it was just beautiful. So I gave deeper contemplation to that. And I began to go into the body more and I thought, and felt, wow, this is, this is everything. This is when we really grasp that we're just we're we're consistently evolving and growing, and at the same time that we needn't do any of that. We we almost we meet in the, this paradox, and it just equilibrates and goes, and we realize that it's the most beautiful thing to consistently evolve ourselves when when the timing is right. And I really love that, and so. A number of years ago when I made that decision to, to really be willing to go deeper into me and, and to neutralize, equilibrate and create uh, these, these traumas and these pain points and create greater equanimity and, and, and true gratitude and openness in my life, I, my life completely changed. I, I stopped seeing and witnessing and experiencing the pain of uh, this burn build aspect that I was creating in my life, whether it be in my business or whether it be in my intimate relationships or whether it be in my own self-talk, I, I found consistency across the board in terms of how I was living my life and the quality of the life I was living in the areas of my life that were important to me, so my friendships, my expression in the world and my purpose, my dharma, whatever that may be, my, my closest intimate relationships, my relationship to self, health and wellness for me, very important as well, consciousness. I began to explore so differently and I began to have very profound experiences, existential and, and, and uh, spiritual experiences, highly connected, cosmically connected experiences and grounded earthly experiences because I began to release a lot of that shit that I had um, been adhering to for so long. I can so relate <clears throat> to everything I'm hearing. And one of the things that came up in my mind, you, you used the word equanimity and, and paradox. And I know that you um, had some experience with Dr. John Martini. And um, he's, he's been one of my mentors from afar. I did his breakthrough experience. It was absolutely second to none as far as like any kind of quote unquote mastermind or anything. And, and that man's a living legend, obviously. One of, one of the things I took away from his work, aside from his value system determination, was the integration of complementary opposites. And I actually was on a coaching call with a group um, today. And this was one of the things I was talking about, about um, increasing cognitive capacity, which is like all the open loops and tabs in the mind mm. and how that takes away or draws away energy and, and how it creates this kind of divisive judgment, this black and white linear kind of way of looking at it, call it masculine or feminine dominance, whatever you want to say. And ultimately what I got from his work and what I've been trying to implement more and more into my work is integrating the complementary opposites of life so we can see life more accurately instead of with a cognitive bias where we're only seeing it based on what we want to see, but we're only seeing one side of the coin at best. Um, and this is something I, I want to bring up. Um, and we can relate this to masculinity as well. I think this is, this is a very important thing for men actually in particular, because men through the entrainment of society and what we call masculinity um I think there is a tendency to actually only look at things from one side. Maybe it's hyper-literal. It's, it's very much more like scientific or, or logical, but then we're missing out on a whole other body of information. And then there's the other side, which I shared with you yesterday, which is like exploring the feminine, right? And like, what does that mean as a man? Because my experience was that when I started to swing the pendulum to a different polarity, I lost myself as a man which maybe that's part of the natural process. You can speak to that. But I started to get way more emotional and way more kind of 
emoting all the time. And it was, it took me a long time to really, I'm still integrating those two polarities and finally getting a grounding with my emotional body and the wounds and the traumas and the pain that like you said, I used, I used exercise. I used a lot of temporary gratification to medicate my inability to access and, and properly deal with and reconcile these open loops within me. And so um, with that said, I want to hand it off to you and also just kind of talk a little bit about this, this idea of integrating complementary opposites. Mm. Well, on complementary opposites, what we're doing is essentially we're, we're, we're perspective switching. And so we're taking various vantage points. We're becoming a witness to our environment, to our circumstances, to our relationships and to ourselves from a different place within ourselves. And so rather than looking at life from a lopsided perspective or or, um, vantage point, and we're only looking at, for example, the the bad that's happening in life or the the bad as we see it or the sad or the mad or any, any... there are no, there's no, really no such thing as a negative emotion or a positive emotion. For simplicity's sake, when we say negative emotion, we can categorize, you know, angry, frustration, uh, anger, frustration, agitation, sadness, melancholy, depression, jealousy. We can we can sort of go and then with positive, it's joy, it's happiness, it's bliss, it's um, it's connection, it's empathy, it's compassion, whatever it may be, right? And so these states, but really, the just emotions are on a spectrum, and so. And so we say negative and positive just to give it simplistic clarification. But sometimes when we're focusing on all the negative that's happening in our lives, all of what we don't want in our lives, we get more of that. I mean, and psychologically, it's a, the Beethoven-Minoff effect. We, we notice what we, what we pay attention to, we notice more. Our reticular activating system fires up and we get really fixated on that and we bring more of that into our lives to reinforce that idea that we've latched onto either consciously or unconsciously. And so our belief systems form a massive part of that. So when we debunk our belief systems and we, we, we delayer that and what there's various processes to do that, of course, and we begin to get really clear on what's actually driving our behavior and what's driving what we're paying attention to. So from a behavioral perspective and an emotional perspective and a, and a fear perspective, what's actually driving us in terms of what we pay attention to? And can we notice that there's a greater balance in life? Because we we have to grasp the fact that, okay, we're experiencing a hard time at the moment. We seem to continuously or regularly be experiencing pain. We won't know that pain without having gained somewhere else. And so the complementary opposites brings it together and says, okay, well, if there's pain, hmm, there must be gain. Where is that? And it's, it works reverse as well. And so our level of attachment to the pain or the gain, as two examples, really determines how we interact with that experience and how it affects us, whether it debilitates us or whether we're allowed to learn, we allow ourselves to learn and grow from it. And that, to me, that integration piece is really beautiful and it's difficult to do when we're in the midst of it. And so what I recommend to people is when you're feeling good in your life, when you're feeling healthy and connected and you're not in a worrisome state, you're not in a, in a depressed state, you're not in a misaligned value state, you know, you're living in your truth, you're, you feel good about your relationships, you feel good about your career, you feel good in your body, your health and wellness, your mental acuity, when you're feeling good, begin to actually explore your belief systems then. Don't don't begin to actually explore how you see the world, the quality of your relationships. Begin to explore, are you seeing the world in a balanced way? Don't do it when you're in dire straits because it becomes very challenging, far more challenging. So you cultivate and you build the muscle and the practice, i.e. the habit, neurological, behavioral, emotional habit, even spiritual practice of that, when you're feeling more grounded and when you don't have external, perceived external pressures coming on you and cultivate that habit of seeing the world through a balanced perspective and knowing that that, that principle of opposites is, is something that exists in our reality and it's part of living in a dualistic world, in a world of opposites, up, down, left, right, you can't know right without left. We're, we're in relationship to each other. It's completely contextual and it's in reference to something else. Whatever you experience, it's in reference to something. So everything is in relationship in this dualistic world. I like the fact that you said everything is in relationship to one another, to itself. And 
This, you know, so this is something I want to, there's a few things I want to jump into. I want to talk a little bit about relationship as a theme. This can be, I mean, obviously the theme now in these conversations um, for conscious relationship talk tends to be focused on the relationship with ourself and for good reason, because it needs to be part of it. Yeah. Right. Right. Actually, that's great. That's a great point because then the other part of it, the other pendulum is our relationship to other people. And it's hard to know ourselves if we're isolating ourselves. I want to talk to you about a little bit about your experience um, and a little bit of the transition you went from getting in, you know, transitioning into the man that you are showing up in the relationship that you're at um, Mm. with, with your, with your partner. I know it's been a powerful process and I got to tell you to be just, fully transparent with you. Um, I can relate so much to the the idea or the facade of saying that like, Oh, I don't want a relationship anymore. I've been through a traumatic relationship or a few relationships. And um, you know, there's this whole thing around MGTOW men going their own way. And I dove into that idea for a while to get some exploration and, and I get, and here's the thing, like I get why that movement exists. Like it's, it's mostly, it's mostly there's a few what's men. It stand, what's it stand for again? Some men going their own way. That's right. Yeah. So when I pro, so so just a little aside on that because it, it is an interesting thing and it's an interesting kind of social experiment. Um, there's a few conscious men that I, I looked up in the movement that are actually genuinely like they're focused on themselves. And so they know that they're not going to be in a relationship. But then most of the movement, from what I can tell, is a lot of men that claim to have got out of messy relationships, divorces, whatever. So now they're blaming women or women are the enemy. And they're just like banding together saying, like, we need to go our own way because essentially women are A, B, C, and D, whatever judgment. And, uh, you know, they're, they're the enemy. Yeah, until they're masturbating to pornography or they're visiting prostitutes or they're Right. Yeah. It's basically like there's different hierarchies of it, but, but that's, so anyways, like that aside this, so I've been exploring all of these things as a man trying to figure out ultimately like what is, you know, in the 21st century, what does it mean for me to be a healthy man, fully embodied, integrated with my path and my purpose and my Dharma and is it possible for me to truly be, or I should say, can I have what I really want underneath the facade, which is to also be in a sacred union at the same time? So to answer your question around, I'll, I'll, I'll answer your question around what does it mean to be a healthy man in contemporary times? And, and, I'm, and I'll answer it and I won't, and I'll, you'll know what I mean when we get into that. With respect to men going their own way or any individual going their own way, there's, there, this is a bit of a, it's an interesting point because we have proponents of the self-love movement as an example. You have to love yourself. You can only love yourself. You have to create the duality within yourself. You have to merge a polarity of masculine and feminine within yourself. And it's all about you and it's all about you and it's self-love. Yeah, absolutely. And, again, we're relational beings. Uh, unless you, you're a pro-social being, from an evolutionary perspective and a psychosocial perspective, socio-cultural perspective, we are, so, we are pro-social beings. We require each other to some extent to survive. And so you can call that some level of codependency, and on the spectrum it would be a very low level of codependency. And then there are other higher levels of codependency where our, our, our sense of self-worth is so derived from other people and so derived from the way other people see us, treat us, etc. And so while self-love is very important, while this inner merging, this internal merging is very, very important, simultaneously, if it serves the individual, they can also express that outside of themselves with other human beings, irrespective whether you're monogamous or non-monogamous, whether it's platonic or familial, but because familial and platonic relationships can still be very deeply intimate. And so... And, and, and again, we all work through different phases, so there's no wrong or right about this. I advocate for every human being to have alone time, solitude time in singledom. It's a very important way to know yourself from that vantage point. And then being in relationship, you get to know yourself from another vantage point, especially if you carry intention, awareness, attention to the happenings and the unfoldings of that relationship. Similarly, when you're on your own in singledom, 
paying attention to what is arising for you, paying attention, getting to know yourself at a base level, what your needs are, what your values are, what your preferences are in sexual intimacy, emotional intimacy, and relating what your hobbies are, what your values are. Do some PD work, personal development work, personal transformation work. Get to know yourself outside of being in a relationship. Get to know what your pain points are, your fears, your wounding, all of that. And so I'm not a massive fan of it's only self-love or it's only in relationships and, and sacred union with another human being. Not at all. I think it's a combination of, of that and more. And, and so because we're, we're diverse human beings. And so uh, coming back to, to masculinity now, coming back to being a healthy man, that's a very complex subject right now, very, very complex subject. And so what I like to do is I like to begin men with what does it mean to be good at being a man? Not what does it mean to be a good man because that's a cultural construct that's subjective, right? But what does it mean to be good at being a man? And so part of that is we live in a society where, so if we just go back to, if we just strip ourselves back to biology for a moment and, and evolution, um, and, and, and part of it is understanding ourselves from what is our, what is our, what are, what is our, physiology need in order to adhere to principles of being a healthy man. And now we take that and we have to understand, we, we, we take that evolutionary biology and we drop it into the, the 21st century, right? And, and we have changed. The, the complexity of culture today is very different to what it was 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000, 500,000 a million years ago. Very, very different. The development of our brains have changed over the last couple of million years from humanoids to where we are today to the version of humanoid today, right? And so we have to take all of that into account. But when we just look at the biology and we look at how we've evolved as men, we're very accustomed to being strong, to being very physically in our bodies, to pushing and exploring. We live in a very sedentary, passive society right now. Now, I'm not suggesting that we go and create war just so, so that men can, <laughs> men can satisfy a biological need to be in their manhood. What I am saying is, though, that we live in a time where we get to choose the challenges that we implement on ourselves as men. And so before, a few hundred thousand years ago, even 20,000 years ago, the environment was pretty relentless. We didn't have the technology, the safety, the, 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 the level of passivity and calmness that we have in our world today that we had that back then that we have today. And so we were forced to fight a saber-toothed tiger. We were forced to live in the cold, and, 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 but we were forged from challenge. We have been, men particularly, but all human beings, we've been forged from deep challenge. And when we look at masculine and feminine, the masculine will always want to challenge. The feminine will always want to create peace. And that, again, is within us, within every human being, because masculine and feminine dynamics or expressive states are part of every individual, two sides of the same coin, and they exist as well in interactions too. And so what I'm saying is to answer your question very directly, a healthy man knows how to challenge himself healthily, knows how to challenge his mind, his body, his spirit, and his emotional self. And he does so in a way that benefits him and what he values, his immediate tribe. Because this idea of, you know, brother, I, I grew up, I was a little kid and I thought to myself, Mum, I thought to myself and I told my mum, I said, Mum, I want to be the Secretary General of the United Nations. As soon as I could say those words, that, you know, I can't remember, I was seven or eight or something, and I, wanted, I said, Mum, I want to be the President of the UN. I remember saying that, right? And my come from was because I was tired of seeing my own pain as well. It was really my own pain. But I was tired of seeing kids starving in, on TV and, and poverty and homelessness and all this war, and I'm like, no, nah, this is not, you know, I want to save the world. I want to save the world. And I was very naive, obviously, as a child. I wasn't wrong in thinking like that. So many of us do. But we're under a fucking illusion if we think that we can save the world or that we can heal the world. Firstly, the world doesn't need saving, number one. That's another conversation. That's another paradoxical conversation. And two, our brains can't comprehend 7 billion or 7.5 billion people let alone more than a few hundred in terms of deep, intimate connection. But you can change the world, and I'll tell you how. When a man steps into his healthy self and he begins to challenge himself and he carries physicality around him, so he actually has strength in his body, whatever that looks like for you as an individual, but you have physical prowess and you're physically adept, you have confidence in your physicality. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't even matter if you can deadlift a 1,000 pounds. It's nothing to do with that. It's got to do with... Are you confident in your ability to execute physical, physically in the world and, and, and be challenged by that? And that, as a starting point, because that's very tangible, we start there. So when a man has that, he then has a tribe around him. 
Could be 10 people, could be 20 people, could be 50 people, could be 100 people, whatever it is. Begin by influencing and impacting that tribe. Make a difference in their lives and make a difference in yours. Then the more you do that, the more you can extend that perimeter. And extending that perimeter can be really challenging as well. And so we just have to keep that in mind when we're talking about what does it mean to be a great man? Because, you know, what does it mean to be a great man? Well, it's a leader that is leading millions or billions of people. And yes, and there's more to it than just that. You can be a great man and lead only yourself. You can be a great man and lead only your family and then your, your community around you. And so I don't want to, I don't want to lose touch with that because that's really, really important. And I still have massive visions and massive dreams of impacting billions of people in a healthy way. Now, if I really have to get honest, Part of that's maybe egoic. Part of that's coming from some wounding or void. I'm aware of it, so it's not unconscious. And it's very, very seldom. Part of it is me wanting to contribute to the world in the most profound way I I feel I can and that I can also grow from because I know the more impact I make, I grow more. And that feels amazing for me. I get to experience these these spiritual revelations. And that's that's a very selfish thing that I want to experience too. And so we have to be aware of all this. And when you ask what does it mean to be a, a healthy man in, in my verbiage here in contemporary times, it's a loaded question, brother. And I can go into principles and I can go into characteristics as well that I think are very important for men. And we have to look at what uh, an author Jack Donovan calls is the, um, the four tactical virtues, which is strength, courage, mastery, and honour. You know, we grew up in mastery. We were with our hands. We learned how to make, you know, bows and arrows, how to carve stone tools. We, we lifted heavy things. We, moved, we, we made our environment safe for ourselves. Whatever you do, learning new things and, and creating mastery in your life is actually a key component of being a healthy man at a very visceral level. And so when we satisfy our visceral needs, when we satisfy the embodiment of what it means to be good at being man, at least in some capacity, then we can contemplate higher order things, higher order ideals. Then we can contemplate what does it mean to be a good man. And that's very culturally relative and it's dependent on your your primary and your dominant in-group, really, because parts of us want to satisfy that in-group and also we forge our identity based on that. That's why I'm reluctant to, to... to be a, a, a complete 100% proponent of this self-love movement. Because whilst that's super important, you can't gauge who you truly are until you're in relationship with other people that challenge you and challenge your wounding and challenge your uncon- the unconscious parts of you so that it may come out because it's very difficult for you as an individual to do that on your own. That's why, it, yeah, I mean, I don't want to go on a tangent or a rant, but I, I feel that I've uh, responded and dove into the three or four questions that you had. I hope I have, if I haven't, let me know and I'll, we'll go back in. No, this is brilliant. And ultimately the distillation that I get from this is embodiment, right? We, yeah. we as men and as women, obviously, but we as men particularly, we are very physical. Our physicality is essential. And so a lot of in our society, there's the, there's the bottleneck literally disembodiment like so all up here and it's very hard to make important decisions especially if you're in a position of influence or power or influencing to the trajectory of a company a corporation the politic political climate the world at large etc etc if you're not actually embodied Mm. in in your body and, and engaged with the physical world um that's one two there's something i wanted to bring up that came up for me around this um one of the things that I think is probably a pretty good evaluation for all of us trying to make a transition from who we are to who we can be, because that, that's a universal theme, whether you're a man or a woman. It's like, how do you make that transition and honor that inkling inside your soul that says, hey, there's more for me. I can be more. There's another level. I don't know how to get there, but I know that I'm called to be more than kind of what I am or where I'm at. And I'm, I want to I wanna talk about the roadblocks because sometimes it's hard to know what to do, but it's, it gets a lot easier if we know what not to do and what's already in our way. And, and I don't want to say just as men, I want to make this as universal as possible. Some of the things that we're dealing with are addictive tendencies, whether that be sex, sex addiction, immediate gratification, um, substance abuse, et cetera, et cetera, any form of addictive tendencies, all of them are there to mask, the trauma and the pain and the wounding that we've already, that you've already, you've talked about. So I want to just kind of go real directly in on that. 
from the perspective of um, wherever you want to take it, but from the perspective of like identifying what's not working for us so we can start to identify what can work for us. Yeah, well, I think you, you nailed it. I feel you've really nailed it there is, is begin with identifying what's not working for us. And, you know, some may say that's a, that's a negative slant or a negative, a negative take on, on life. And I would also say simultaneously focus on what is working. And what is working in life, you, you may want to shift and change, but if there's a lot or there's something that's not working in your life and it's a sticking point, exploring that with tenacity and exploring the shadow aspect of that is going to really be liberating. And so for me, feeling is freedom. The, 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 when we feel, when we really, really feel and release that, that deep pain that I don't want to say many of us have. Well, I, I think it is many of us, man. I, I really do think it is many of us. When we start looking at attachment styles and we start looking at um, statistics around broken homes and what kids are experiencing, it is more than 50%. So that is more, more than, than the average, so to speak. And there's, there's a lot of pain around that. We look at sexual abuse and physical abuse and, you know, brother, just to, just to share something, I, I did a small, intimate, um, at a small intimate group of men on the weekend at, at this Sacred Sons Convergence that I ran myself. And, you know, brother, 40% of the room, men only, 40% of the room had been sexually abused. You know, that statistic that is 25%, 25 to 30%, it's not that, look, not that one, one experience. I've had multiple experiences of that where I've seen that. So, I, so like I say, oh, well, it's one experience and 40% of the room have been sexually abused, therefore that global statistics is wrong. It's also, I believe it's also wrong for, for women. It's, I think that it said that 50% of women are, are sexually abused. I would say it's more like 70%. Yes, that's heavy, bro. That's heavy. A lot of that comes from immediate family. Even primary caregivers, parents, biological parents, a lot of pain out there, brother. And so when we explore that in a safe place, in a really, really safe place, we get, to the, we get directly to what is stopping us from being the best version of ourselves and taking ourselves to the next level. That's been my personal experience, brother. When I've explored my pain and my trauma and my, the abuse that I've experienced and I allowed myself to feel that without interpretation, without analysis, without cognition, without having to know what it was and just feel it and let it leave my body, man, that proverbial million, that atlas that I was holding up on my body, up on my shoulders, just, you know, it's, it, it left. It, it, it And so... What I'm saying is not necessarily the path for, for everyone to do because it can be really intense. So where to start earlier is or where to start before going into that depth is just maybe surrounding yourself with people that are like-minded and like-hearted, that support you, that see you for who you are, that love and care about you, that are non-judgmental and compassionate, and you have a safe place to just slowly express let it trickle from you even if it's in verbiage that's a start right because again there's this other fallacy that oh no it's not a fallacy but there's this thing that we're too heady we're too heady and we are our society is far too cognitive right it's we're so disembodied it's it's uh, we have to get so embodied to become then find the balance and this thing here is really helpful let's not negate it because it, it helps us and it helps us move through and it helps us evolve uh, it's just that we use it too much. Anything in extreme, my man, you know that anything that's used in extremity is not really healthy. It's just, it's not it's it's debilitating if anything because we're missing a key aspect of what we have access to in terms of the tools in the tool belt. We're only reaching, say, you know, we're only reaching for the hammer that's here, and we've got all these other tools here. But you know, we're not we're not using a nail. We're using something else. We're using we need a jigsaw that's attached to a mini jigsaw that's attached. To it, so we're going to get that. So different tools, and if we don't access those tools, then we're essentially devolving we're essentially stunting our growth and so surround yourself with people that see you in a non-judgmental compassionate way seek professional help in terms of people that understand the mind and the body and and just begin to explore yourself even if it's just through exercise with the intention of saying i want to move my body and exercise and i just want to observe what arises in my own consciousness when i'm in a freer state of being for me exercise fitness movement wellness an intensity or steady state has always been quite a liberator for me and it's been very insightful. I've had massive downloads 
in terms of what I've created in the world because of in being in training. You know, just sitting there um, snatching heavy kettlebells or it's like, wow, that just came to me and I'd stop and I'd write stuff down or I'd have, you know, I have my phone and, and I'd write in my phone or I'd type in my phone and I, I personally get a lot from, from physically moving the body and being in that embodiment um, more so than I ever have because of the connection I have to my body now, the cleanliness of it. There's, there's just a lot. There's a lot there. I hope I've, I've responded to you in a way that uh, has, has helped. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I, I actually wanted to um, bring up this idea because you kind of alluded to it before. And, and I think it's also very relevant to relationships slash sacred union, if we want to use that term. I know, I know that resonates with me. I know it does for you. Mm-hmm. And this idea that discipline equals freedom. Because you had mentioned before when you were kind of chasing women and thinking that was freedom, it actually was more bondage. And I've experienced that, man. I've experienced that so much in my life. And it's so funny how it's like we have awareness, then we kind of go into temporary amnesia. (laughs) (laughs) Then we we forget that we have to learn all over again, usually through an uh, increased pain stimulus. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, so that's coming back up for me right now where I'm sitting and standing. And so I want to kind of bring that idea up first. Um, pain, I mean, uh, pain, but, um, discipline equaling freedom. Cause I think that's part of this, right? You have to be disciplined in order to go to the next level of life. I feel like there's a, there's, there's a quality and, and there's a, you know, it's disciplining your disappointments, disciplining yourself to, to rise up, whatever that means. Um, so I want to kind of get your take on that. And I don't want to leave this conversation without talking a little bit about your perspectives on, uh, monogamy, sacred union, um, and how that served you. Yeah, of course. And so, th- when we when we use the term discipline in in, so you're you're suggesting that being disciplined can actually lend itself to freedom. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And and the come from here is very important as well. So the intention and the the movement behind the action is very important. And that sets the stage and the scene for any, any form of development. Let me give you an example. If you um, are in a relate, we'll use a relationship because you, we were mentioning it and you mentioned it. You, let's say you're in a, well, firstly, <laughs> the, the traditional sense of monogamy means you've only actually been with one partner sexually ever. And, and romantically ever. That's really the real definition of monogamy. We use monogamy in today's, in contemporary society as I'm, I'm in a relationship with another human being and I'm not, there's boundaries in that relationship in terms of how I express myself sexually outside of the relationship, how I interact with people outside of the relationship. So it's, it's changed a little bit, just to clarify. That's, that's an important distinction. It is, yeah. But let's, let's just use a, a, a contemporary definition of monogamy. You're in a monogamous relationship and and all you want to do is have sex with other women or all you want to do is have sex with other men. And that's all you, but you're disciplined in not doing that. You're disciplined because you've made a commitment, but that's all you want to do. So you're out of integrity. Right. You're right. not in alignment. And so whilst you may have discipline, two things are going to happen. One, that discipline is probably not going to last very long. And if it does, you're going to build resentment and, and, and either self-hate, self-loathing. You're going, to, you're going to, because if you've got this massive urge and pull to be elsewhere, in the relationship, um, other than in that relationship, and you don't want to have that conversation with your partner, then there's going to, it's going to cause internal conflict, massive internal tug of war. And so discipline in that sense doesn't actually lead to freedom. Right. I, I think and feel, and you just you know, correct me if I'm wrong, not, it's not about being wrong or right. It's just about whether I'm in alignment with your thought. It's more about uh, focus and focus can allow us to, to experience freedom and discipline, but from this sense. So when we're in a practice, for example, and say we have a spiritual practice in the morning um, and it's a, it's right. a meditative practice, maybe it's a breathwork practice, and when we wake up in the morning and we're like, oh, I'm tired today, but I know if I do my breathwork practice, I know I'm going to get something out of it. Maybe not today, but if I'm patient, you've got a couple. See, these virtues, these characteristics, they're, they're just singular. They have to be coupled with other, other pra- uh, virtues such as patience, such as persistence. So discipline when coupled with patience and persistence and insight, an approach of insight mm-hmm. and foresight, a masculine approach, uh, a masculine virtue, foresight saying, if I do this today, I will reap the benefits tomorrow exactly. and, I'm, and I'm, exactly. I'm in then discipline can lend itself to freedom somewhere in the space-time continuum down further down the track, right? Mm-hmm. 
And you, I think you get those two distinctions, yeah? Yeah, and, and, and by when I say discipline, I'm using it in, in almost like the John D. Martini element mm. of like your value system, like not being yeah. disciplined in opposing yourself or in an inauthentic way to cage yourself. But like, for example, yes. like I'm going to discipline myself to do the hardest thing in the morning that I need to get done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to block out time for my purpose or for my work. So... Because I've, I've noticed that there's this, uh, there is this other swing of the pendulum where it's like, I don't have to do anything. I don't have yes. responsibility is the word I'm kind of getting at right yeah. now. And, and I, from that perspective and that context, completely resonate with you. Yes. Yeah. And that, that form of discipline is also a form of focus. And we're just playing with words in there, semantics, right. man. But yes, um, I completely resonate with that. And that, that form, of the, it's all about the come from, man. It's the come from. It's the state that you're embodying and you'll come from. What's your intention behind it? And if it's clean and clear and in integrity and it's authentic for you and it's real for you, and in, in other words, it's, you, you, you're not, you're not, you don't have this internal tug of war, then discipline can definitely lend itself to freedom. Maybe not immediately, but at some point, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so I guess when we, when we bring up the word discipline and then try to relate it to a relationship, I can see now how easily that can get kind of thrown off. So I don't, I don't want to, I want to use the word responsibility. I think that's a much better word and a much more accurate to the meaning that I'm trying to lend over. Yeah. Responsibility to self, responsibility to our highest values, responsibility to our truth and responsibility to showing up how we said we're going to show up in life for ourselves and for those that are important to us. Yeah, that's, that is responsibility. And there, there is sometimes a discipline that's associated with that, man, because we're human beings and so our minds veer, our hearts veer. And it's, you know, a, a very specific example, let's again use relationship because I know you're leading into that in a moment with monogamy, non-monogamy, et cetera. You know, let's, let's, let's say you're in a relationship and you've been in that relationship for a few years and there's another human being that catches you and you're emotionally, spiritually, sexually drawn to them. And, but you've made a commitment in that relationship to be in integrity and that container is, is emotionally and sexually just for you too. So maybe what you do is you go back and you say, you know, I've sat with this for a number of days or weeks and I've, I've sat with this yearning that I have to be with this other human being and I need to tell you, darling, that it's still really much there and I don't know what to do with it. I'm not going to act on it because we've made an agreement and I'm honouring that container, I'm honouring that arrangement and et cetera. And that, that's more of a thing of integrity and having that very challenging conversation because you, you're risking risking quote-unquote loss, quote-unquote rejection, humiliation, abandonment, and they're big conversations to have and they're also mature conversations to have. They're the conversations I couldn't have when I was younger. Mm. I can now and I do now. Not that specific conversation that's relative to me, but I'm just saying those types of conversations, they're the ones I have now because I'm able to. I never used to be able to, man, mm. and it was detrimental to me and those that, I, that were in my life. Mm. So I didn't have the courage to step into that. Because mm-hmm. I, was, I was too, because there was a there was an unhealthy codependency there, and there was there was, I mean, there was so much more than just that. Obviously, um, it was just unaddressed fears. Then we go back to doing your inner work. You know, really looking at what's stopping you from living a full life is going into the shadow aspect of self, and that's difficult to do on your own. Elements you'll do on your own, but having guidance there is very important. I've had guidance for for many many years. I, the earlier years in my life, I didn't really take advantage of it. I did Martini's course. I wasn't present to that. I didn't have the shift that I could have had because I, I, I didn't want to look at my stuff. I had a shift, but it wasn't like what I could have had. And it wasn't until I really looked at my stuff, took ownership of it, took responsibility of it, that I was able to have profound exper- internalized experiences. Mm. Okay, this, this is interesting with the time we have left. It's, so this word responsibility is quite powerful. I think it's, it's the foundation of everything when we talk about whether it's femininity, masculinity. I think it's a universal principle, and yeah. it's a conversation that's coming up more and more. And, and really, like, the kind of crescendo of this conversation to me is leading into, like, what does it mean? What does it look like and feel like to be an evolutionary human being? is I think that's really the, that's the emerging conversation that wants to happen out of all these kind of subsets. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we've been trying to define that for thousands and thousands of years, brother, to be honest. I think even maybe even more than that. I, I, I mean, it was interesting. There was, um, I was, I was reading Joseph Campbell. He's a cross-cultural mythologist. He's an American philosopher, one of, 
one of your greatest, in my opinion, you're meaning the, I'm not American per se, no. so, but, but and not to segregate, but he's one of our, humanity's greatest <laughs> philosophers and contributors. And he was speaking about 200,000 years ago in the Alps um, uh, that there was a, a cave found and there was some frozen uh, the artifacts there. And what it basically, long story short, what it represented was this, um, this altar that had been made with, with bare heads. And, and basically what he was saying was that humans for 200,000 years that we know of have been creating altars that had this, this form of connection to something uh, outside and beyond their own selves. And so when we're talking about virtues that bring evolutionary wholeness into play, what does it mean to be a, a more evolved human? I think it's been happening for quite some time. I'm sure they believed at some level that creating this altar it would give them something, it would define them as, as sentient beings in the world. I don't have proof of that, of course, but it, it, something's alluding to that. And so this question, it's a big question. In, in, for me, in contemporary times, I think some of the virtues that exemplify being a whole version of self is willingness. Willingness is a big thing for me. It's been, played a big role in my life. Being willing to explore anything and everything within the internal self particularly at a psycho-emotional spiritual dynamic, being willing to traverse the pain and the fear that we hold within us, being willing to look at our traumas, being willing to say, you know, I'm, I'm wrong, being willing to take ownership and responsibility, being willing to celebrate the goodness that we are as well and the joy in our lives, really embracing that level of self-worth. Willingness is a massive virtue, I think, for the next evolution of humanity. Mm-hmm. what it means to be a, a conscious human being. I think also just on a, a slightly more abstract note, the way we relate to Mother Earth and our physical environment, I think that relationship, it needs to, at a collective level, needs to shift massively and it, it almost needs to be um, it needs to be on par with patriotism because when you look at countries, you look at you know, Russia, USA, Australia, Italy, countries all over the world, every single country, every single region, every, you know, here in Encinitas, well, Encinitas is better than La Jolla, you know, Encinitas, Encinitas is, <laughs> is better than Carlsbad. It's like everyone has their pockets, this segregation, this patriotism. If we can relate to Mother Earth and, and have that avatar, that movie avatar connection to Mother Earth, that for me, that's, a, that's, another, that's another step in our evolutionary wholeness now more than ever. And, you know, you look at the greats and you look at some of the American philosophers as, as, as well, um, uh, Walden, Thoreau, uh, j- just some of these men that were deeply, deeply connected to Mother Earth as well. And as a side note, Tangent, were deeply influenced by Vedanta and deeply in- influenced by certain East- Eastern mysticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, this connection to the cosmos and to Earth particularly, I, I, I feel it's very profound for us as human beings, full stop. I feel women or the femi- and or the feminine, feminine do it better and they do it with greater efficacy and, and continuity. But we forget men used to, tribal men used to be so connected to earth. We've lost that. We've lost that, that, that meaningful rite of passage into land to respect Mother Earth for what she gives us because we're so detached, again, from our lives. We go to the shop now, we go to the store, we go to Costco or, or Jimbo's or Whole Foods uh, or any grocery store and we buy prepackaged meat. We don't hunt our meat. We don't, we don't hunt our meat. We don't, we don't skin our meat. We don't connect to the land. We don't feed it back to earth. We don't have that connection to land like we used to. Now, honestly, I don't know what the grander collective alternative is. Well, I have an idea. A resource-based economy is part of it. Again, that's a massive conversation for another time. Um, having, having, and I'm working on this in terms of having very specific rites of passages for young boys and young men to actually have it create and cultivate a deeper connection to Mother Earth and to environment and to where people are. That's a big part of it. But, you know, again, I can go on about this for a long time, man. There's many virtues in my own being that I hold dear to me that create an evolutionary person. Mm. But willingness and connection to Mother Earth are two that are very, for me, very, very powerful. Mm. And I think that's really important because the word evolutionary is all-inclusive. Yeah, very much. Holistic, like it, it, that, that's the whole point of evolutionary. It's, it's, it's all-inclusive. It's, it, it considers the whole. The whole yeah. is more than the sum of its parts, right? Yes. And I'll say, and I'll say I'll, I'll, look, I'll, I'll provide two more virtues. 
sustainability in thinking, feeling, acting and relating and inclusivity in, in thinking, acting, relating and feeling as well. Mm-hmm. And so are our decisions sustainable for seven generations ahead, as an example, at least? Are we as inclusive as we can be in our decision-making the way we are in the world? Mm-hmm. Or are we segregating at high levels where we're really isolating ourselves from other people, other human beings that can actually serve us and that we could serve them? Again, I'm not, I'm not coming back to, hey, can you include 7.5 billion people in your scope of, of uh, in-group? In Yes, we can do that to some extent, but it's more conceptual. Just begin with what you have here and extend it as far as you physically can and start there. That's, that's the best place to start. But, yeah, the, so yeah. inclusivity and inclusivity, willingness, sustainability and, and connection to Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's very specific virtues in relationship as well, in, in intimate bonding that, that are required. Mm. I, I would like to just add this one thought does the personal self match the public self? Because that's another thing too that I've been contemplating on for myself and just kind of integrating all the the different dynamics is like, does my private life match my public life, the life, but the the self, the self that I show up in, in my, my public life or the projection in the different public social circles, does that match who I am behind closed doors? Yeah, here's the complexity of that, brother. I hear what you're saying and it's a beautiful question. And, and definitely having integrity is great. And we're also putting a lot of fucking pressure on ourselves by doing that. So, again, you go back to how we've evolved. Maximum, there was 100 to 150 people in our tribe. And so who you were was really who you were. Right. Now, I jump on social media. I have X amount of followers. I'm following X amount of people. Mm-hmm. I have essentially access to 2 billion people. Like, that's you, the, the brain can't contemplate that. And so how can I possibly impress every single person how can i possibly be me in front of every person yes i can and yes for the most part i definitely am and our brains are adjusting to what that actually looks like too right. so yeah for me what you see here is is what you pretty much what you get right. i may swear a little bit more in private does that mean i'm not being authentic here now no because i'm hey, i'm telling you I, I do swear more in, in private and i'm also being mindful of audience and my environment as well it's not that i'm cutting out who I am. It's just I'm being respectful of other people as well. And if it really hurt me to not swear as much, then I would be having a different conversation with myself and probably with you. But it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. So as an, I'm giving you an example, right? But what you see is what you get. And, but never, I never used to be like that. And it's, I'm sure there are times when I'm not like that as well. And I'm, I'm navigating this complexity of social media and being seen in, in the world of connectivity. We're in the world of connection now, man. I mean, this is big, and this is changing the way we relate to ourselves, to people, to everything and everyone, and 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 how we're evolving as well in a society. Yeah, I, no, I I completely appreciate that. I was speaking more from the perspective of like the double life. Oh, yeah, oh man, I like, that yeah, we, yeah, we we have to modulate our our behavior and our mannerisms, and and we're wearing different hats, but like the core, right? The yeah, core. I get it. Yeah, no, I hear you, brother. I see that. No, I have this conversation with so many people. We we think so. I'm just moving around. I'm stretching a little bit my hips, yeah. <laughs> twirling here, or, or twisting rather, not twirling. I don't have a I don't have a um, little dress on. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, we see that all the time that people are. There's just so much facade on social media. I was literally having a conversation with a friend of mine. He was um, he was talking to him before this call, and he was he's in a really he's in a really tough place with his wife at the moment, and they're just not communicating and. He's, he's a very, he sees himself and he is a very authentic person, so to speak. And, um, you know, her, her social media profile, it's saying one thing, but it's doing another. And that's really hard for him. And, 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 and that's not unique to them. That's not unique to them, my man. It's, it really isn't. It's, it's so, we think, we see people, oh, they're doing great. Oh, look at them. They're making so much money. They're doing this, they're doing that. And when you talk to them, and I know many people, Personally, when you talk to them, they're in dire straits. They're either in debt, massive debt, and they're not doing that well, and they're miserable, well by their standards, but what they're projecting, and they're miserable. It's a sad, man. And it's, it's a product of, it's a systemic thing around our, our, our society and social media, and it's, it's the way we see ourselves and, our, and how we're gauging, how we're comparing our self-esteem and our self-worth. That's another conversation too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, well, I really appreciate being able to go there. And that just really circles back around to the, the core theme, which is like, you know, being able to deal with our issues, so to speak. And my work is so much about like the idea that your issues are in your tissue. So cleansing, detoxing, mm-hmm. upgrading your nutritional protocols, really taking your body, your your consciousness of your body and taking care of your holy vessel and, and that translating to all other areas, like you said, the willingness, the responsibility, being able to look at ourselves honestly, authentically, take off the mask and really look yourself in the eyes and like make that decision. You know, I think it really starts there, right? Like making the decision that who I was doesn't determine who I get to be. Mm, mm. Oh, I love that, man. I love what you said about our issues being in our tissues and definitely from a physiological health perspective and a wellness perspective. And I would say from a, the way trauma locks itself in our, in our molecules and in our cells as well. And that's, that's been very, very, very clearly articulated across much research study as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, our issues are in our tissues, man, for sure. And that's why that embodiment, that release of trauma, the exploration of the shadow self is so crucial for our society, our individuals and for our relationships and for our society as well. Healthy people just doing healthy things in the world. Right, right, yeah. Well, look, I know we're, we're at the top of, uh, well, we're, in the, we're at the top of this interview hour and it's just been so amazing to really dive down the rabbit hole with you and go down, just go down into uh, explore your mind and your experience. And um, I know there's so much more in really like the modalities and the work you do. So I want to make sure that your resources are known and how people can connect to you. You're sharing a lot of deep insights via social media. I know that you have an upcoming program specifically for men reclaiming your kingdom, which I'm definitely going to be a part of, no doubt about that. Um, definitely here to reclaim my kingdom for sure and inviting all the men in particular out there. I know a lot of women follow my work and they would resonate with your messages, especially if they have men in their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'd love for you to share um, your your resources with people, how they can find you. Of course, yes. Yeah. So reclaimyourkingdom.com. Um, best way to find me is either on Instagram or Facebook, Stefanos Safandos, and my website, stefanosafandos.com. Uh, and definitely multiple points of contact there. No problem at all. Awesome. This has been a pleasure and honor. I look forward to working with you deeper and getting to uh, just connect more and just grateful that you made the time to come on the show. Thank you, brother. I'm very grateful to have, to be here and for you to have me here. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this fascinating episode of the Holistic Health and Human Potential show. Before you head off, I want to invite you to go to my website for further podcast episodes and tons of free content on holistic health, natural nutrition, and human potential. Please go to www.ronnylandis.net to find out how to take your health and your life to the next level. And also, I want to encourage you to leave a five-star review for this podcast on our iTunes page, which will help me in my mission to get these inspiring messages to millions of people throughout the world. I thank you so much for your support, and I look forward to continuing to provide amazing conversations and content on holistic health and human potential.